hopefully you have an outline. In fact, if you don't have an outline, raise your hand and see if I can get you one real quick. Anybody not have an outline this morning? Brother John, there's one over here, I think, the Grinnas. Just those two. Anybody else not have an outline? There's some over here as well. There's some over here as well, John. There's three. There we go. First Thessalonians chapter 2. And I uh, want to continue our series, Stewarding Life, and really stewardship by faith. And the Bible says the just shall live by faith. Everything that we do in life should be not just governed, but really the Bible should be the lens that we look through in order to view the world as it really is, instead of believing what everybody else says that it is or what it's supposed to be. And God says, no, there's a specific world I've created. There's a specific way of life that I've created, and I want you to trust me for it. I want you to live that life that I prescribe by my word, by faith. And really, faith is simply trusting what God says and acting on it. And so here in First Thessalonians, uh, we're going to read about uh, a portion of our life as Christians that God calls us to steward, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And follow along as I read First Thessalonians chapter 2. Notice, if you will, in verse 1. For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you, that it was not in vain, but even after that we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as you know, at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto you, notice the phrase, the gospel of God, with much contention. For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanliness, of uncleanness, sorry, nor in guile, but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. For neither at any time used we flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness, God is witness, nor of men sought we glory, neither of you, nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because you were dear unto us. For ye remember, brethren, our labor and travail for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you. We preached unto you the gospel of God. We are witnesses, and God also, how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children, that ye would walk worthy of God who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. Our focus in this study over the last four weeks has been the stewardship of our lives as recipients, the Bible says, of all spiritual blessings of God and of all that our lives have been blessed with the gospel of Jesus Christ and the salvation that God gave us uh, through Christ is the greatest of those gifts. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8, for by grace are you saved and through faith. The Bible says it is the gift of God. Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Second Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 15, God says, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. That word unspeakable has to do with for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Any way you look at it, the Bible describes the gospel of Jesus Christ and the salvation of God as a gift. 
This salvation comes through what the Bible calls the gospel of Jesus Christ or the message of the good news that Jesus can save from sin and does so because he died in your place and he rose again from the grave. That message is the most powerful message in all the world if you'll believe it and receive it. The Bible says in Mark chapter 16 and verse 15, and he said unto them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. Now, the apostle Paul, just like us, had been put in trust with the gospel. Notice, if you will, in verse four of our text, but as, uh, but as we were allowed of God, notice this, to be put in trust with the gospel. Now, this was not a message that he made up, the gospel of Christ. This was a message that he received, not of men. Uh, he, like us, received that message from God. And he looked at himself the way we must look at ourselves this morning, and that is as stewards of that great message, the gift of the gospel. As a steward owns nothing, a steward possesses and uses everything that belongs to his master and does so, as we've learned in the last several weeks, for his master's welfare. And as we've learned, every steward then must one day give an account unto God for that stewardship. So the message of the gospel then, according to the Bible, is a treasure of God that has been entrusted to us. Now, we've got to be careful that we not bury it and we must not bury it. In fact, the Bible would give us great direction as to how to invest it so that it will multiply and produce spiritual dividends for the glory of God. Now, some Christians think that churches, uh, that the church's only responsibility is to protect the gospel from those who would desire to change it. But we also not only need to protect it, we need to share the gospel. Otherwise, we're protecting it in vain. If all we're worried about is just making sure that it stays pure and that the doctrine stays right, that's fine. But if we don't do anything with it, it's all for nothing. It means nothing. It's all in vain. And in doing so, remember that faithfulness is the most important quality a steward can possess. First Corinthians chapter four and verse one, let a man so account of us as the mysteries of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found. If you know it, say it with me, faithful. Now as followers of Jesus Christ, then I have one, I have two, two goals this morning. One, to glorify and honor the Lord Jesus Christ. And two, to challenge you to be a faithful steward of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you're saved this morning, you have been given a tremendous gift. God has given you his son. God has graced you with his presence and he's taken your sin and he's given you the righteousness of the only perfect life that's ever lived. That transaction means that you're his child. Now, having that gift requires a stewardship. Having that gospel message requires that we manage it for the glory of God. So as we look into God's word this morning, I want us to consider three valuable truths as they relate to our stewardship of the message of the gospel. Number one, if you're taking notes, follow along in your outline. Number one is the truth of the gospel. The truth of the gospel. Now in Colossians chapter one and verse five, the Bible says, for the hope which is laid up for heaven, uh, for you in heaven, whereof you heard before, listen, in the word of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you as it is in all the world, the grace of God in truth. Now, the reason that that's so important is because when you think of the gospel this morning or the gospel truth, I want you to think of it in three ways. Letter A, I want you to think of it as being simple, as being simple. We learned this on Wednesday night. 
The gospel of God is simple. That means that according to the Bible, the gospel is the death and uh, the death of Jesus Christ for sinners, his burial and his resurrection, proving his power over sin and death. And it's so simple. That message is says uh, the Bible says this for whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now get it. It doesn't make it difficult. If it were difficult, it wouldn't say for whosoever. The Bible says for whosoever. The gospel, the Bible teaches, is for everyone. It doesn't say that you have to have a college degree. It doesn't say that you have to attend church for years and decades and decades. It doesn't say that you have to go to college. It doesn't say that you have to be a certain age. It doesn't say that you have to have a certain background. It doesn't say that you have to be a certain color. It doesn't say that you have to have a certain persuasion. It's so simple that anybody can be saved. So you can't give the gospel to the wrong person. The Bible says for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And if the gospel of God is the gift to sinners, then we all qualify. So it's not a matter of picking and choosing who needs to have the gospel. All have sinned for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is to whom? Whosoever for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So I want you to think about that. The gospel is simple. Secondly, I want you to remember this. The gospel is powerful. The gospel is powerful. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, Paul declared, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it, it, the gospel, is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. Many of us have a character sketch, do we not, of who the gospel can save. And then over in the backside of our minds, we have a character sketch of who it can't save of who it really can't reach. The gospel only can reach to a certain level of humanity. And then after that, they're just lost. They can't be saved. What lives can be changed or not? We think of this. Uh, The gospel is the power of God. By the way, not human power. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. So there isn't a life that it cannot change, nor is there a soul that it cannot save. Just ask the Samaritan woman who went through five divorces and committed herself to look, if this is what life is all about, if that's what marriage looks like, I'm never getting married. So she decided to live with a man. Her reputation destroyed. Her life was of ill repute. She had to go do things when other people weren't doing them. And one day Jesus met her when she was going out to get water when no one else was there. And guess what happened? She got saved. Why? Well, that's because the gospel is for everyone. For whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you don't think that someone whose life has been wrecked by immorality can be saved, just ask the Samaritan woman. It's for everybody. If you don't think that it can't save everybody, just ask the Philippian jailer who beat the apostle Paul. Just ask the criminal on the cross who hung next to Jesus, who died justly, and he confessed, but Jesus died unjustly. And that day, when Jesus died, that man was with him in paradise. If you don't think it can save everybody, just ask the maniac of Gadara, who lived in a cemetery, who ran around being being bound by chains and fetters and cut himself every day and screamed and cried like a werewolf and ran around and caused nothing but chaos. And then one day, Jesus came to town. Jesus showed up. And the Bible says that he rebuked the demons and that man knelt before Jesus and his life was changed, that he was clothed and in his right mind, just ask a crazy man if he can be saved. Ask Mary Magdalene, who was full of demons and also a prostitute. Another lady of 
ill repute, another lady of bad reputation, another lady that would look you and I in the eye and say, there's no way God could save me. And yet she was saved. And all the way to the cross of Calvary, when no one else was there, she was one of the few that was watching Jesus died. Just ask murderers like Moses. You know, we have done a great job in our society of saying, well, I know I'm going to heaven because I'm not as bad as that guy. And for some reason, even because of some religions, we've decided that murder is the line. That God doesn't save murderers. That, 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 that for some reason, we've categorized people on death row as the impossibles to be saved. If murderers can't be saved, then how come Moses and King David and the Apostle Paul are going to be in heaven? Just ask them. Can the grace of God save to the uttermost? The answer is absolutely yes and a resounding amen. Or perhaps we should talk to those people. Paul said, this is a faithful saying, listen, and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Listen, how be it for this cause? He said, I obtain mercy that in me first, Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them. which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. I don't know what's in your life. I don't know how far you've gone with your morality. I don't know how far you've gone in your emotions. I don't know how far you've been bent on defying God. But I will tell you this. God loves you as much as he loves anybody. And he died to save you. And he can and he will if you'll receive his word. The power of God in the gospel. It's simple. It's powerful. I'm going to give you a third thing. It's needful. It is absolutely necessary in order to be saved. Everyone needs to be saved. God is not slack concerning his promise. Some men count slackness, but is long suffering toward usward. And that, listen, he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The Bible is completely true and sure that everyone needs to be saved, but no one can be saved without the gospel. And no one will be saved except someone tell them. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10 and verse 13, yes, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I think you have this in your notes. How then shall they who need to be saved call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him on whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of the of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all believed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Why weren't people in Isaiah's day saved? Because there was no one willing to speak. See, we think, as Kenny told us on Wednesday night, we think the word preacher has to do with a preacher. Someone who stands up and boldly proclaims the word of God. Someone who's called to the ministry. No, the word is simply proclaimer. It's someone who's willing to speak indefinitely, to speak insistently, and if need be to speak defiantly in order that someone who doesn't believe may hear so that faith can enter their life. And they say, yes, I'm a sinner. I need to be saved. God is awesome and he loves me. And I know that he can save me. That doesn't happen without someone telling them it's needful. I'm a steward of the truth about the gospel. Secondly, I'm a steward of my time with the gospel. My time with the gospel. Now, 
I just turned 53 years old. And I appreciate the fact that you said I didn't look like it. I just turned 53 years old. My life is more than half over. Which means my time with the gospel is shortened by another year. Should God be gracious and allow me to live another 20 years? That's all I have left in the gospel. What if God only allows me to live 10 more years? That's all I have left in the gospel. When I die and I go to heaven, I will no longer be able to tell a soul about Jesus Christ. I can declare the goodness of God. My life is a living testimony of what grace grace looks like and and the blessings of God by faith. I'm a living trophy of that and I understand that. But when I die and my body is in the grave and I'm standing in the presence of Jesus Christ, I no longer have the opportunity to say how great is our God. It's done. My time in the gospel is limited. And for that time, I'm a steward. I only have so much time. My daddy's 80, 83, going to be 84 years old this, this year. And to be honest, I'm shocked that he's lived this long. If he lives another year, that's all the time he has. How much time do you have left? Better with the time that you've been given. What have you done with the gospel? As a steward of the gospel of Christ, what are you and I doing with it? Well, I'll tell you several things, what we're supposed to do with it. Letter A, it's intended to be declared. Look at verse 2 in our text. But even after we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as you know, at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. You know, I would hope that if you today went out to lunch and you ate at a really good restaurant... And I mean, it was like really good. And it was close by. And the service was great and you had a great experience and you just couldn't stop thinking about what you ate and your family, just everybody just, they just, they checked all the boxes. Everything got five stars. I would hope that you'd tell me about it. I, I, I would hope that you would text me or call me and say, Pastor, you can't not believe what I just had for lunch today. And, and you would have me right there. I just went to this, and I'm all ears. Everybody stop playing, turn the TV off. I need to listen because I may need to go there, right? Um, Yesterday, my wife and I were out for a walk. We saw this big black food truck coming down down the street, and it was Cousin's Maine Lobster. Have you seen this? So it was on the Shark Tank. It came in. They asked for a measly amount of money, like 55 grand for so many percentage or whatever, they gave them the 55 grand, and now it's national. These food trucks have gone crazy, and they guarantee live. Brother Marcus, I was going to tell you about it, because they were in Gilroy yesterday. They'll be in uh, San Jose, I think, in Gilroy today, and then they're in San Jose on Monday and Tuesday, so you need to find out. You just go to the locator. We'll, we'll talk afterward. But my point in saying that is they couldn't speak enough about how fresh and how authentic and amazing their lobster is. And right now, I want to go eat lobster. That's how awesome it is. See? Now, look, the fact of the matter is, if something was that good, and I can recommend re- restaurants 
with the best of them from now until Jesus comes. And you'll be like, okay, I'm going there. Okay. I had a friend of mine is getting ready to come up in a couple of weeks and he's going to San Francisco. And he's like, now where can I go? I gave him the standard chain food in San Francisco. And I was like, no, no, no. We want the authentic stuff where the locals go. And I was like, okay, you need to go to Golden Boy's Pizza. It's over off of, it's over down by Washington Square. And then you also need to go to Mama's Kitchen, which is right there in the same place in, in San Francisco. And he's like, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Now, the fact of the matter is, when we deem something worthy of being proclaimed, man, we have no problems proclaiming it. But God says, this is, not about, this is not about what you deem worthy. It's about what I deem worthy. Better, it's about who I deem worthy. And Jesus Christ is worthy, not only of all expect, uh, acceptation, but he's worthy to be proclaimed. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The word preach in scripture means to declare publicly, typically, insistently, proudly, or defiantly. Acts chapter 8 and verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth and began to at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. We think of preaching as being in here. Philip was in a chariot with a man one-on-one. And he wasn't ah, yelling and screaming like I am. He simply was what? Declaring. I am declaring to you Jesus Christ, Acts 4 and verse 20, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Acts chapter 8 and verse 4, therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. May we not be silent with what we understand to be the greatest need in life. People need Jesus. And God so loved people that he gave Jesus. People need the Lord and they will never know him without hearing it. The gospel is intended to be declared. Secondly, it's supposed to be protected. Yes, it's supposed to be protected. Jude 3, beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Mark my words, Satan will use any means to deceive us and manipulate us to make us ineffective for God. So we must make sure that the gospel is not perverted at the least. Second Corinthians eleven three. But I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety. So your minds, listen, should be corrupted from the simplicity in Christ. Study then to show yourself approved unto God. Workmen that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You know what I need to do? I need to know the gospel, but I need to study the gospel. There are plenty of people out there that like to do just like Satan did in Genesis chapter 3. And they'll just tweak it a little bit. They'll just add a word here or take off a word there. And they'll, they'll make something else of the gospel that happened to the church at Galatia. And Paul came and said, listen, you did run well. Listen, who did hinder you? Who is it that came in and perverted this gospel so that you should be so removed that you would think you have to do something in order to be saved? No, friend. I don't have to do anything to be saved. I just need to believe on the one who's already done it all. The gospel is intended to be protected. Thirdly, for all of that, the gospel will be persecuted. You know, when Jesus was rising or when he was ascending to heaven after his resurrection, he said in Acts chapter one, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and under the uttermost. You, you shall be witnesses unto me after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You know that word witnesses? You know what it means? Martyr. 
Now, it's interesting. In Matthew chapter 5, in his very first sermon, Jesus said, if you live the prescribed way that I'm telling you to live, the people that don't know Jesus as their Savior, they're going to malign you. They're going to slander you. They're going to marginalize you and even persecute you. The very first sermon we learned about it in Sunday school today. The very first thing he says is for living a life following me, you're going to be persecuted. The last thing that he says before he goes to heaven is for being my witnesses, you're going to die. For telling people about how wonderful God is and telling people that I've died for them, that I've risen again and that I'm sitting in heaven praying for their soul for that you will die. My time with the gospel includes my willingness to be persecuted for it. Now, if it's intended to be declared, now we see what the hindrance to that declaration might be. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, for God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Listen, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels. That the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. He's saying, listen, and this church has already, has already understood and it's already in the context before you can read it later. Paul's life was persecuted just like Jesus said. And he was stoned to death and he was beaten with stripes. He was imprisoned and all of that. He says, I want you to know I'm doing what I'm doing to demonstrate not the power of man, not the willingness and the discipline and the stubbornness just to keep going. I'm doing this to show you what the power of God looks like. Now, listen what the power of God did in Paul's life. We are troubled on every side, but not distressed. We are perplexed. We don't understand what's going on. But not in despair, because God's in control. Even, listen, persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We're cast down, but we're not destroyed. You see, my time with the gospel is important because of what I do with it, but also because of what happens to me because of it. And as we learned in our adult Bible hour, what's supposed to happen is it's supposed to draw us closer to God. Paul said, I know one thing, the fellowship of his suffering. And I want to be made so conformable that I could die just like my Savior did. I'm a steward of the truth of the gospel. I'm a steward of my time with the gospel. Thirdly, and I'm done, I'm also a steward of my testimony of the gospel. What do I mean by that? Well, I want you to, I want you to think of Maybe one of the most beautiful paintings you've ever seen. Okay? I want you just to think of it. You say, well, I've never really seen a painting. Okay, well, then pretend. <laughs> think of the most beautiful painting you've ever seen. By the way, the Mona Lisa ain't beautiful. Okay, have you ever seen a picture of Mona Lisa? She looks depressed. All right, so don't think of that one. Think of a beautiful picture. Okay, whether it's a Thomas Kincaid and, and it's the cottage or the Thomas Kincaid. I have it in my office. It's the cross on Calvary. Wh- whatever it is. Okay? There's something in that painting that's supposed to be the most prominent, okay? It's supposed to be the one thing that your eye is drawn to. That's, that's what it's for. That, that, that's where your attention's supposed to be. That's the message of the art, right? I want you to think in your mind when you, when you think of that picture that you're thinking of, I want you to think of that as the cross or the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the forefront, okay? 
it's supposed to be the forefront of our life. That we should hold forth the word of life, the Bible says. All right? But now I want you to pay attention and shift your focus, not just to the what's in the center or what's supposed to be the most attentive, but I want you to shift your attention to the backdrop and all the details surrounding that. And I want you to see if you can picture that picture, whether it's a house or an animal or a flower or whatever, if you can picture that main piece without the backdrop. Okay? And I want you to understand this. Your life is the backdrop to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not just the canvas. It's everything in the background. And everything in your life will either help or hinder that main message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want you to understand this about your testimony your personal testimony as it pertains to the gospel. Letter A, my life should be appropriate for the gospel. My life should be appropriate for the gospel. Now, as you look through this passage of Scripture, Paul goes into amazing detail about his life. Oh, he mentions the gospel, by the way, four times. But he mentions his life with many more words as it pertains to him delivering the gospel. Listen to what the Bible says. The Bible says in verse 3, for our exhortation was not of deceit or of uncleanness, nor in guile. The Bible says at the end of verse 4, not as pleasing men, but God. Verse 5, for neither at any time used we notice flattering words. We didn't have a cloak of covetousness. Notice verse 6, nor of men sought we glory, neither of you, nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome, Verse 7, but we were gentle among you as a nurse cherisheth her children. Verse 8, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because you were dear to us. Verse 9, for, we, for you remember, brethren, our labor and travail for laboring night and day because we would not be chargeable. He didn't want to cause people to give him money because of what he's doing. Verse 10, ye are witnesses and God also. Notice how holily... And justly and unblamely we behaved ourselves among you that believe, as you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father to his children. Look at verse 12. That ye would walk worthy of God who hath called, unto, uh, called you unto his kingdom and glory. He lived a life so that when he gave the gospel, it would be what it is, life-changing. So the backdrop really just push the cross forward. And then he says, listen, that's why, why I did it was so that not only would I walk worthy of God, but that when you trust Christ, that you would walk worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ. The word worthy there, you might want to write it down, means suitable. It means appropriate for a particular person or purpose. The word worthy, that I would walk appropriately being a Christian, that I would receive the gospel so that as I give the gospel, it would match, that I would be appropriate. Some Christians think it doesn't matter what they do. Some Christians don't say, well, it doesn't matter how I talk. I can still cuss up like a sailor or I can curse this or I can do whatever. No, all of it matters, friend. If you're going to give the gospel, it matters. 
It doesn't matter if you're not going to give the gospel. Say amen right there as well. It's equal. It does, your testimony doesn't matter if no one gets saved because of you. It doesn't matter. But there are Christians that would say, no, it matters. I, I want my loved one to get saved. I, I want my daughter to get saved. I want my uncle to get saved. I want my boss to get saved. I want these people to get saved. Then your testimony matters. Amen. Amen. Some people say it doesn't matter whether they get a divorce or whether they even get married or whether they stay married. It doesn't matter whether where they go in public or how they conduct themselves when they get there. But the Bible says otherwise. I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Philippians real quick, if you will, please. Just a few pages back. You turn back to the left. It's astonishing what you find in the Bible. I feel sorry for people who don't read it because they never find it. I'm going to what I'm about to do is I'm going about I'm, I'm going to exhaust just a chapter and a half in the Bible at this point. When I'm done, hopefully, by the grace of God, you will understand that your testimony for Jesus Christ matters more than anything else that you possess. Look what the Bible says in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Christ. Now, that I, I said that first because that begins by saying the one that saved you in your heart it's not going to stop working okay verse 9 says and this i pray that your love may abound yet more and more in the knowledge uh and in all judgment verse 10 that you may approve things that are excellent that you may be sincere and without offense look down at verse 20 the Bible says, according to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by my life or by my death. Look at verse 21. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Verse 27. Only let your conversation, that word is life, your lifestyle, be as it becometh the gospel. That is, that's the same word, appropriate. That it matches. That when people look at your life, they see the gospel. That it becometh the gospel of Christ. That whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may notice, hear of your affairs. Notice down, if you will, to the next chapter, chapter 2 and verse 5. So when you read it in context, it becomes even more powerful. Verse 5, let this mind then be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself, here's your lifestyle, of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Look down at verse 12. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, as ye have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, notice, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because it is God, verse 13, which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do all things. How? Without murmurings and disputings. That ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and a perverse nation, among whom ye shine as the lights of, in the world, holding forth the word of life. 
that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Yea, and if I have offered up upon a sacrifice the service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. The fact is, my testimony matters to the gospel. So let your conversation be, therefore, as it becometh the gospel. My life matters to the message. I am accountable as a steward of God to be the ambassador for, uh, for the gospel to the unsaved world. My life must be worthy of the message then of Jesus Christ. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech you by us. We pray, uh, we pray you in Christ that be ye reconciled unto God. If you work for the United States government and you were an ambassador in some other country, they tell you what to wear. They tell you where to be and how to be and how to, how to conduct yourself because you represent that flag abroad. Now, the fact of the matter is in the book of Philippians later on, we find out that we are already citizens of heaven and we represent. You see, at that point as a Christian, it's not about the merch that we wear. It's not about the little sticker on the back of my car that says, not of this world. It's not about the little verse reference that nobody has an idea of what book in the Bible it is on the back of your car. What matters is what I do with the gospel. And what I do in my life matters to what I do with the gospel. My testimony with the gospel of Christ, it must be appropriate. Secondly, my life is supposed to adorn the gospel. Adorn the gospel. Titus chapter 2 and verse 10. I think you have that on your notes, do you? The word adorn that we're about to read means to garnish, means to decorate. How, how many, especially the ladies, maybe the guys too, how many like to decorate your home? Come on, come on. How many like to decorate? Some people are like, yeah, I do it, but I don't really like it. Okay, I can understand that. We may not like it, but really, I've kind of been into homes that aren't decorated, and they're kind of depressing. Aren't they? You've been in some of those homes? It's like simplistic. You go in, there's like a 20-foot wall and one thing. I cry in the middle of it, and you're like, did I go to Sing Sing prison or something? Am I, am I in trouble? Why am I here? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? They just don't decorate. Minimalists, you know, they don't, they, they, they have like a chair, a table, and a picture. <laughs> and, and they have a refrigerator. You know, they have all that stuff, but, but they're minimalists, right? And, and you kind of, you're like, you, you don't want to be there very, you feel awkward. One, because you don't have any place to sit, but the other is just, it's just, it's, it's just kind of, it's kind of boring, isn't it? You look around and you go, huh. and then you go in some homes, especially, I mean, you know, and it's like decorated to the nines, you know, or uh, some of us like to decorate for seasons, fall, Christmas, you know, some of you go bonkers and you just, you blow your mind. You're like, it's Christmas. And you have to put, can I just say this for all of the wives? Not every box in the attic needs to go on the wall or on a chair or somewhere. It doesn't have to. You could, you could, you know what I'm saying? We, we decorate and we get into the decoration, don't we? We, we put it all up everywhere. And, 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 and we're kind of motivated by the way it makes us feel. We're motivated maybe even by what people think of the way it looks. There's a house down from our house um, that decorate for Halloween every year. And it's awful. I say it's awful because they go to such extent to just being vile with death and, and blackness and it's really, it's really, it's quite scary and, and evil. It really is. But they know what adorn means. They know what it means to garnish and to decorate. What they really don't understand is, or what they, what they do understand is what they're trying to do, listen carefully, is they're trying to make Halloween 
attractive. That's what they're trying to do. When we decorate for Christmas, we're trying to make Christmas attractive. Ladies, if you've ever put on any makeup, that's what this word means. To make attractive. You, you, you're, you are putting something on to make some feature on your face to, sh- to shine or to be embellished is what it means. It, it, it's to garnish, it's to decorate. And by the way, I don't necessarily think there's anything wrong with that. But I want you to listen about how that word is tied to the gospel in our life. And I want you to listen to the words associated with our testimony as it pertains to adorn. Titus chapter 2 and verse 10. Not purloining, but showing all good fidelity, that you may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. For the grace of God that appeareth, uh, that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Here's the part. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. You see, our life is not supposed to be like every other life. You, 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 ever, you ever go to someone's home and you say, wow, this is a really nice home. And they say, oh yeah, it's this model. And in the track of homes, there's only like four models. And pretty much they're almost all alike, right? I used to, when we were in Vegas, the very first home we ever owned was a track home. And we lived next to cookie cutter homes all next to each other. They were all the same, except for the people who could really afford like the big model and you know, blow it all out. We just had a home that was like every other home. God never intended your life to be a track life. He never intended you to be just like the world before you got saved as a Christian. He said, no, I want your life to adorn the gospel. Do you know why? Because the gospel needs to get to those people who don't have it. And if you are living like the rest of the world and you are sounding like the rest of the world, do you think, listen, do you think the gospel is going to be attractive? No, because it won't be necessary. So before you leave this life, understand that your life matters to the gospel. It matters what you know of it. It matters what you do with it. It matters how you portray it according to the Bible. As a Christian, I represent Jesus Christ and his message of salvation to the world so that my life becomes the very vessel that carries the message to anyone who will give their attention. It is those opportunities that matter the most. Those opportunities. When out of the blue, someone's talking to me. When out of the blue... I find immediately an interest in something that someone has or is showing, and I have immediately an opportunity. This last week, I was at a gas station, not getting gas because it's too expensive. I think I was getting a drink or something. And I came out, Mike, you'll, you'll know this, you'll appreciate this. I came out, and as I walked back to my truck, do you remember the old car that AMC Eagle used to make, the Talon? Do you remember, you guys remember that? Anybody else? Dave, do you remember those? Okay. 
two of us, three of us will enjoy this car show then. <laughs> so I come out, there's this white talon, and it's beat the fire out of, I mean, it's gnarly. But it's running, man. He's filling it up. Big old dude named Arturo right here on his, like it's a mechanic or some big dude. And I said, uh, no way. And he looked up at me. And I said, are you kidding me? You actually own one of these things? He starts laughing hysterically. I said, man, I have not seen one of these things. In, I, think it, I think the last time I saw it was like 1993. I said, I haven't seen one of these things in decades. He goes, yeah, I know. It's an old timer. I said, what year is it? He goes, 98. So proud. 98, the last year they made them. And I looked inside the interior, shredded. I mean, it's just faded, ripped to pieces. The front headlights weren't clear anymore. They were like that tan glaze that they get when they rot, right? And this, he started up. And I was like, man, that guy is proud of that thing. You know what I mean? And, uh, and I, so we just talked for a minute. Do, uh, you know, there's some people who get in such a habit of cussing, they don't even know that they are. It's the only form of adjectives that they have in their English vocabulary. You know what I'm talking about? And, 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 and so this guy, as I'm talking with him, he's just like, bomb, 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 bomb. And immediately I could have said, he doesn't qualify. Right? Doesn't fit the sketch. And all of the words that he was saying were abrading me and hurting my spirit as he talked about his awesome little car. <laughs> and I said, man, take care of it because you may break down tomorrow. He goes, yeah, I know. <laughs> He's laughing. And I got in my truck. And God said, what are you doing? You can't drive away from that guy. You're the one that opened the door. You're the one that talked about that piece of junk. And you're probably the only one that talks about that piece of junk with him forever. And he actually communicated to you. And he actually stopped those abrasive words. And he actually was addressing you and talking to you. What are you going to say? And I'm telling you, I opened my truck. And I got a track. And I could have just said, here, read this. <laughs> I hope he doesn't follow me. <laughs> I said, while you're standing there filling up, I said, I want to give you something good to read while you're here. I said, I'm the pastor at Shadow Mountain Baptist Church, and I'd love, I'd love to have you come visit. And you know what he said to me? He didn't cuss me out. He didn't bomb anybody else, luckily. You know what he said? He said, thank you. And as I drove out of that parking lot, you know what he was doing? He was reading the gospel. That's the opportunity that I was given. You're given some opportunities as well. And that's the opportunities that we can never get back. How many, look, my hand, both of my hands are up. How many have ever missed one? How many have missed more than one? Yeah. We are all that way. That's why God says, listen, what I want you to do is understand what you do with the gospel matters. It may not matter to you. But it matters to me and that soul. It's needful. They need to be saved. I want to save them. And if you're the only guy that I can get to notice that piece of garbage so that you give them the gospel, then so be it. That's your stewardship. Now, I'm not trying to ring my bell. I'm trying to say I almost didn't do it. And that's far too often in Christianity today. Moreover, probably because the backdrop doesn't match the message. 
And somehow we feel unworthy to give a gospel track because we sound or we look like the world. What will you do with the gospel this week? I hope you will live it. But I also pray that you'll share it with someone who's never heard it. Remember, how shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach except they be sent? And Jesus has already said, as my father has sent me, even so send I you. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I thank you, Lord, that it's a gift. It's freely given. It's freely received. I don't have to do anything in order to merit it because we can't. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. I'm thankful for the power of the gospel that it is able to save anyone, anywhere from their sin and take them to heaven when they die. I'm so thankful for the change that takes place that you begin working in us at the moment of salvation. And I pray, God, that we would not just receive the gift of the gospel, but that we would steward the gift of the gospel this very day. I pray that you'd help us to be keenly aware, Lord, of the fact that our lives are tied to it. Of the fact that it truly does matter, Lord, the time that I have been given on this earth and the intent of the gospel is that it would be shared. I pray that you would help us to do that and be faithful in doing it. I pray that our lives would match the message, that our lives would make it attractive. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to ask Jenna to begin to play this morning. And with nobody looking around, I wonder, maybe you're here and you'd say, Pastor, Pastor, 